So this is a special Sunday, obviously. Uh, we've been talking about it already. We'll continue to talk about it. And one of the things we do on a homecoming Sunday is you kind of reflect back and you remember all the things God has done uh, among you for years and years. For us, this is decades, 75 years. But there's biblical precedent for this. That is, that God's people over and over again at certain milestones look back and they see what God has done. And there are some moments in the, Old Test- uh, the New Testament where Paul even does this very thing. Although the church is very young, Paul will actually look back on a church and praise God for what God's been doing in a particular church. And so when I think about this precedent, this biblical example of looking back at what God has done, I couldn't help but think of this New Testament letter where Paul does this very thing. He looks in on a church and considers years of, of time in that church, and he looks in and thanks God for what that church has been doing. I thought, man, it would be good for our church to hear. First Thessalonians, where we're going to be. First Thessalonians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians. We'll just read the first three verses. Hope you'll see just how relevant this is for us today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is one of Paul's first letters that he ever wrote. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Those verses have always caught my attention. I remember years ago reading them and just being just captured by those three things. We'll just highlight them here. Let's just highlight them. He mentions their work, their labor, their endurance. It just has a cadence to it here, a rhythm. Their work, their labor, their endurance. He just praises God for how God has been working among them. He remembers them and he remembers their work, their labor, and their endurance. But, but these three things have emerged out of a well-known triad that Paul usually puts together. I don't know if you remember, maybe you've heard it at a wedding, where someone will read, the pastor will read 1 Corinthians 13, and right at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter on love, he says that these three are going to remain, these are, these are the highlights. It is, you remember, faith, hope, and Love, yeah, faith, hope, and love, and the one that lasts forever is love. Interesting that right here, as he praises God, remembering what he's been doing in this church, praising their work, their labor, their endurance, these three things just don't come out of nowhere. They actually emerge from the soil of faith, hope, and love. He puts them in a different order, but check this out. He notes their work produced by faith. Faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope. There they are. Faith, love, and hope. That's the order he puts them in. These are the things that define these people. Faith and uh, love and hope. And, and from those things emerges just good work, good labor, and endurance. 
Interesting, this isn't the only time Paul will look in on the life of a church and remember what God's been doing in that church and then thank God for, for what he's been doing and he just pulls them together just like he does here in 1 Thessalonians. There's another letter where he does it. Let's highlight it. Colossians chapter 1. Note this. Colossians 1, verses 3 through 5. We're going to take this out of the English Standard Version. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. There it is again, faith, love, and hope. As I think about 75 years of this church family, I think these are good words to describe what God's been doing among, among us. Even long before I got here and many of you got here, God's been doing a work among this church family that is full of, of faith and love and hope. Look at it. Some of you have been here a long time. Some of you were brought here in a belly. He said it in his interview. Um, and I just think that this church is defined by a faith in Jesus Christ, a love for each other. It's a loving church, and it's a church that is full of hope because many in this church have gone on into glory and they held on to hope until they took their last breath. And the people that came into this room to celebrate the life of someone whose casket was right here, oh, they cried, but they were full of hope. You know that. This is a church full of hope. So there it is. Like this is, These are words that define this church. They define the church in Colossae. They define the church in Thessalonica. But here's the thing about these great words, these, these defining features of this, these churches. These churches just didn't magically appear out of nowhere. Let me say it this way. Churches just don't stumble. You just don't stumble into faith, love, and hope. Churches like those in Thessalonica and Colossae, well, they become defined by these three things because they take on the pattern of the first New Testament church. These are churches that were taking on a particular pattern. And when you take on this particular pattern, well, you sure do begin to be a people defined by faith and love and hope. And that pattern we see right at the beginning of the church. So I want to take us to a place many of you have read many times. Acts chapter 2. Let's pick up with verse 41. Here it is. Those who accepted his message. This is Peter. Peter's message. He was preaching. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were, to, uh, were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke, broke bread in, the, in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the pattern. Like, that's the first church. That's the pattern. Here's the pattern. If you just had to put it in bullet points, here are the things I'm pulling out, the things I'm seeing. Here's the pattern. They met regularly. They prayed together. They eat with each other. They take the Lord's Supper. 
and they share generously. And like, that's his tent. Like, we meet regularly. We pray together. We eat with one another. Like, we're going to eat together here in just a little bit. Just a timely scripture, right? We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And we consistently are a people full of generosity. We share. Like, this is who we are. This is the pattern. And when you do the pattern, you're going to get a people that are defined by faith and love and hope. And that's been going on for decades right here on this property. Because you're, you're, you're following the pattern, the New Testament church pattern. But this pattern, these characteristics, these habits, if you do all of them without the foundation, you'll miss the whole thing. As important, as important as these things are, they're not the foundation. You see, you don't get verses 41 through 47 in Acts 2 unless you get verses 32 and 36. Really, unless you get all the verses that precede, it, uh, precede those verses. You see, you don't have the launch of the church before the gospel. It's the proclamation of the gospel message of Jesus. And from there, and on the foundation of God's Word, that's when you get a people that look like that. So, just let's make mention, I want to go back into those verses, because here's the first thing Luke noted when he penned those verses. So once all of them, once the, these people are described as being baptized and being saved, verse 42, Paul, uh, uh, Luke makes sure to write, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Before they did anything else, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what was the, what was the, the core content of the apostles' teaching? What's the thing that they're devoted themselves to? Take a look, verse 32 and 36. We're just going to take an excerpt of Paul, uh, Peter's sermon. This is the first sermon ever preached, first Christian sermon. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter stood up in the crowd in Jerusalem, and he preached the gospel of Jesus. That you are a sinner, but through Christ your sins have been paid for. This is not about you. This is about God the Father through God the Son applied by God the Spirit. This is about the God of the universe and how He's brought salvation. This is very good news because now salvation is at hand. This is not about you doing you. This is about God being the center of the universe and salvation coming through Christ. It was the Gospel that was proclaimed. And from the Gospel comes a people that meet regularly, take the Lord's Supper, they share, they eat together. And all of that emerges is because the gospel has been proclaimed and they've devoted themselves to the Lord's, uh, to the apostles' teaching. That's the power of God. If it wasn't for the gospel, we're just a really cool social club that's been around for 75 years. Like, that's all we are. Just a social club. So come if you want, stay home, no big deal, we'll be here next week. We're not a social club. We do social things, but we're not a social club. We are people defined by the gospel. Interesting, when Paul writes the letter to the Roman church, right near the beginning of that letter, he wrote this. Check this out. For I am not ashamed, what? Of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
You don't get a people transformed unless you first have the gospel. That's where the power is. So to whatever extent this church has grown over the years, it's because of the gospel. It's because we are teaching and preaching, proclaiming and being transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, then we're just like any other organization. Just call us a nonprofit that does good in the community and call it a day. But that's not what this church has been for 75 years. We've been a people devoted to the gospel. And the gospel has a content. Like, it's not we go out and say, Jesus, Jesus. No, there's a content to the gospel. One of my, one of my favorite theologians, for various reasons, R.C. Sproul, he had this to say about the content of the gospel. A little bit longer quote, but man, it's worth it. God has chosen to save the world through the foolishness of preaching the gospel. Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not rhetoric, not gifts, not persuasive power or the number of verses of a hymn that is sung after the sermon. Could we add not how good your food is at a potluck? That's not the thing. I mean, it's a thing. And we all get to enjoy that thing. But that's not the thing. It's the gospel. The power is in the gospel, and the gospel has a certain has a certain required specific content. It has to do with the person, the work of Christ, who came as our Redeemer. He bore our sins on the cross. He was raised for our justification and promises that all who put their trust in Him will participate completely in the inheritance that the Father gives to Him, which is by faith. That is what we should be preaching. That is where the power is. Peter preached that, and then 3,000 were saved. And then they begin to meet regularly. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They take the Lord's Supper. They share generously. That is the story of East 10. When Miss Pugh was gathering up all these little kids in the neighborhood, she was teaching them the gospel. And from that little group of kids, taught by this lone woman in this area of the community, emerges a church that has had such an impact throughout this community for 75 years. Is that because Miss Pugh was a charismatic woman who could just teach for days on end and captivate everyone's imagination? No. It's because she was teaching the gospel. And the gospel is where the power is. And from there emerges a people. Isn't it interesting that, you know, we started with 1 Thessalonians 1 and Colossians 1. And you remember, both those passages, Paul praises their faith and their love and their hope. I mean, these words he uses. If what I've said is true, you would expect that somewhere in here, he's got to say something about the gospel. Because these things, uh, faith and love and hope, they, they don't emerge out of nowhere. You don't just manufacture them. They come from the gospel. Interesting. In both passages, Paul moves from a praise of their faith, love, and hope, and he reminds them where it all started. Take a look at how he does it. First Thessalonians, we'll just jump into verse 4 and 8, just right after those beginning verses we started with. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you. Not simply with words, but also with power. With the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering 
with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message, the Lord's message, it rang out from you. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Faith, love, hope, all the things that define this church too. Well, those things started when the Thessalonians heard the gospel. It started the same way right here. You never leave the gospel. That's where the power is. And in the letter of the Colossians, take a look. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. That's where the power is. It's the gospel. And from there emerges a people that can last for 75 years by both God's faithfulness and their faithfulness to God. That's our story. And I just happened to just join this story, you know, three and a half years ago. I get to join up with the story. But this story was going on long before I got here. Because the message of Christ was being taught first to a group of kids. And then it got into their parents. And then they started gathering regularly, taking the Lord's Supper. And then they became a church. And from 1947 until right now, 2022... This church has continued to be defined by those three things. Faith and love and hope. All of it founded on the gospel. And so that's what God's going to keep doing. So just let's make some application. Like let's just move that into some application and that's this. East Tenth has been, and I just want to make this clear, will continue to be faithful to the gospel as well as continue to meet regularly, pray and eat together, take the Lord's Supper weekly, and share generously with each other. So if like, if you want to know like what's, what, like, where's this church going in the next 75 years? It's just going to keep running the same track it's been on for the last 75. That's why every Sunday we're going to be walking through books of the Bible. It's why we go verse by verse. It's why we take the Lord's Supper. It's because we put the gospel center. And in our world where everything's about you, we desperately need this. Because just in case... Anyone is confused, the world's not about you. And it's not about me. Praise God, it's not. So this church will continue to be a church rooted in the Scriptures. Expository preaching. We'll keep taking the Lord's Supper. We'll keep having potlucks. We'll keep meeting regularly. Like, this is the kind of people we will be. And we will be transformed. God will keep being faithful as we are faithful. Second point, it's this. So the challenge for us individually is to be faithful. And I'm going to press on this one, especially to show up regularly. I need you to, I need you to hear what I said, uh, hear again what I said last week. I didn't walk into this room thinking of any one of you. And just because I'm looking at you doesn't mean I'm thinking about you. Maybe, maybe Glenn. Maybe. Maybe Glenn. I mean, Wayne's an obvious, but Glenn. Maybe. Maybe. Mark, was, you were too easy. I, just, I had to go a few rows back today. Yeah. Here's what I want to press on here. 
And I want to speak to the parents particularly, but let's speak to, I mean, we're speaking to everyone, but definitely parents. If you want the next generation showing up here, if you want them to be here 20 years from now with their kids, assuming they're still in town, then you have to be here every moment you can. And I mean particularly on a Sunday morning. Like, you have to be here. Like, you just don't, you just, you just don't build a habit by coming every, every few weeks when it's convenient. I'm not talking about when you have to work or when you're sick. I, this, these, I'm not, the, the judgment here is not on when you can't. It's when you just simply decide, ah, we'll just stay home. Yes, and I did say that's where the judgment is. Not me. This is scripture here. I want to read to you something. Uh, we're going to read it up on the screen. It comes from a longer article. Um, and I'm going to put this article out. I'm going to put some in the back. I'm going to put some at the front. Pick up an article on your way out. Okay, usually I don't do this. Um, I printed 70 of them, so um, maybe share. You know, if, if you like the person you're married to, share. Just grab one. Um, and I want to read you an excerpt from it. Man, I was recently had lunch with um, with a guy and... I said, you know, if I had to pick one thing, if you just said, what's one thing for you to do as a dad? I mean, just one thing. Would it be read scripture every day? Would it be pray every day? Like, what could you do to lead your family well? What's the one thing? You just pressed me on it. I'd say you get to church every Sunday. Every church, every Sunday you can be there, you are there, and you got your kids in tow. That's what you can do for your family. And the guy looked at me like, really? Like I was expecting, read the Bible every day. You know what you get when you come here? Even once a week, you go get the Bible. And you're going to get other Christians too. You're going to get the Lord's Supper. You're going to get prayer. You're going to get song. You're going to get encouragement. Do you know why you walk out of the building? Usually, usually, maybe I stepped on your toes this morning, but usually you walk out feeling better on a Sunday morning because something happens here you can't get anywhere else. That's why. Because you're built for it. Here's the quote. And then we'll, we'll drive to something special here. When I was a kid, this author writes, we went to church every single week, even on vacation. Now, I often complained about it. My old school dad would always reply in the same gruff southern drawl, Son, God gives us seven days a week. We can sacrifice one morning for him. My family's commitment to Sunday worship communicated major truths to me. God is the center of life. God is worthy of praise and worship. The Christian life requires a sacrifice and discipline. My father rarely talked to me about spiritual matters. I don't think he had a vast vocabulary for such conversations. Still, he modeled the Christian life well, largely through his unflinching commitment to go to church every Sunday. Here's one reason I pressed here on Homecoming Sunday. You know we've been watching interviews all all, uh, uh, um, for the last month and a half every Sunday. We've been watching an interview from longtime members at this church. And there's a theme that runs through every one of them. Their parents brought them. And these people were here nearly every time the doors were open. The reason this church, one of the reasons this church has lasted for 75 years and is still so strong is this core group that is getting older. They are part, they are on the, they are, they have reaped the benefits of a generation that kept coming Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We all want the benefit. 
But so often we don't want the work that goes into it. Part of what we're doing today is celebrating a generation that was so faithful to getting their rear ends here every Sunday. And there's one in particular lady that we have not yet featured, but she might be the most special of all. We've left her to the end. Donna Jean Wheeler was here for years. You know she's the wife of Clyde Wheeler, the pastor who was here for over 40 years. So many of you know Clyde. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the choir. You, you get it. I never had the benefit of meeting Clyde. I've seen some old videos, um, but I've not I've never met him. Donna Jean was, was right there alongside Clyde at the stable force, and most of, the, most of those who were interviewed mentioned Donna Jean. How formative Donna Jean was. Donna Jean was here faithful. And it was her faithfulness, Sunday after Sunday, that laid a foundation for this church that it is still reaping the benefits from. Donna Jean is aging. And even in the last six months, I have seen a decline. Um, and Terry and I have talked about this. Some of the ladies, we were able to visit her about a month ago. Um, but I had the opportunity just a few weeks ago to film her. Her memory is not what it used to be, even six months ago. But she was able in this short interview to still capture some of her memories. I think you're going to see it. Those of you who know Donna Jean, you're going to see she just... She doesn't seem to be that Donna Jean you knew from just a few years ago. But you're going to also see a Donna Jean that's still there. And I'm going to tell you, she gets to the end of this interview and she says something. She lays out a vision for this church that caught me. I don't know when you watched it, if it caught you by surprise. But Donna Jean, you think I might be ambitious? You think I have a vision for this church? You think I'm trying to build something great here? Not really. But Donna Jean is. You just wait until the end of this interview. She was not prompted. You didn't prompt her, did you? I don't know where she got it from. But if it's going to happen, God's going to have to move in a way, a big way. You'll see. Let's take a look. Well, we had no intention of moving right then. In fact, Clyde had thought about going on and getting his master's degree. But Bill Ambrose called, who is the preacher here at East 10th Street, and said that he was leaving and he wanted Clyde to come after him. Of course, what we didn't know was that he intended Bill did to come back in about three three months to the to uh, um, East Tenth Street and eventually to Tenth Street, but then his intention was to go ahead and and do it at East Tenth Street. Uh, So that's how we happened to come. Uh, Clyde jumped at the chance to talk to him. And we came the next week. And Clyde preached his uh, trial sermon that next week. 
Thank you, my challenge. memories of East 10th Street was the fact that our people have always been so loving and so caring and really have never given us a real good reason to leave. Now we have pondered it but we never had a real good reason to leave. The fact that the sky is the limit, and uh, I see no reason why the church won't continue to grow. You want to know what my vision is? My vision is that we will eventually own that whole block because I think we could not only grow into it, I think that we, we're going to need it. And that's my vision for East 10th Street. For those of you who have asked, what are we going to do with this room being so full and you're, you just don't have anywhere to sit? We're buying hang time. That's what we're doing. That's the vision. We just own the whole block. Now, now that seems so funny and so crazy. But this is the same woman who I understand stood up after failed search attempts after Dave had, you know, stepped down again. And it was Donna Jean who at one point stood up at the end of a service, or stood up at some point, right, and said, God's going to send us somebody and prayed. And I think it was within a week or so. I mean, it was like within days. I'm searching to see if there's a church out there that's small, that we could love on us and we could love on them. It was you. And Donna Jean, I think, started it. So if Donna Jean says we're going to own the block, I guess we're going to own the block. Um, but isn't that awesome that here's this woman right, right in the latter years and she still has a vision for what God's going to do right here. Now, I want to be clear, by the way. Some of you are visiting from other churches. Some of you are just testing us out. You don't even know what this thing's all about. You just kind of came on the right day, right? Like, wow, they feed you too. Um, <laughs> um, I want you to understand, this isn't just about building up East, East End. If you've got a church home or you've got a church home that fits you better, then you just make sure to stay faithful to that church family. East End has never been about, we're going to build our brand and overtake the world. No, we're going to be a church that loves the people in our family and we care for our community and we're linked up with other churches and we want all churches thriving. So let's just be about the business of making sure wherever you go, you go to a church. Like that's the key and they're teaching the Bible. I just want to make sure, a little caveat. Here's our next step. Go to church every Sunday you possibly can, including next Sunday. 
without a potluck. All right, let me pray for us, and then we're going to keep moving into our service. Father, thank you for today. Thanks as we celebrate all that you've done uh, among us. And thank you for Donna Jean and the impact she has had on so many of us. And we pray your care and your mercy on her. We thank you for all that have gone before us and their faithfulness. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And we thank you that the gospel that was planted in this soil so many years ago has grown to what it is right now. And we pray it be multiplied in the years to come. And we thank you for all of it in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, Savior, and the smartest person in the world. Together we say, Amen.